Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 13. And as we started to get into the last time on these Proverbs, these are kind of little tidbits or nuggets of wisdom given to us in, uh, in short sentences. Sometimes they're contrasting ideas. Sometimes they stand on their own. But each of these uh, proverbs or verses or a group of verses give us instruction. Give us instruction for life. Give us instruction on how to deal with, with friends, with family members, with our employers, with our employees, with people in the church. They give us instruction how to walk, how to walk in this world as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when we are confronted with something that comes up in our lives, we have the guidebook, we have the instruction manual, and we should, because of our study through the whole Bible, but especially the book of Proverbs, we should be able to navigate those things in a way that it's pleasing to God and it uh, it's edifying to one another and it's beneficial to us us so we're going to jump right in because even though it's just we're going to try to go through two chapters tonight but there's a lot here so we're going to jump right in in verses one through three of proverbs chapter 13 it says a wise son heeds his father's instruction but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke a man shall eat well of the fruit of his mouth but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. And he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have uh, destruction. So um, we're talking here about talking and listening. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about talking and listening. And most of the time, it's to listen more and talk less. And so this is really not that much different you know, and it's always been said that that's why you have one mouth and two ears. So you listen twice as much as you speak. On uh, verse 1 here, generally speaking, and again, the Proverbs are not rules and they're not necessarily even promises, but they're kind of general ideas or thoughts or guidelines um, that what probably or most likely would happen. And generally speaking, children would be smart to listen to their father. Now, that's assuming that their father, again, this is, this is biblical instruction, that their father is, has a relationship with God, is listening to God, and is passing those instructions on to their child. So this is, again, a, in generalities. You know, the experience that a father has, or a parent has, you know, uh, in life, as they're raising their children, that experience will give them... Um, wisdom 
in, in what they pass on to their children. And wisdom in how to navigate this difficult world because children don't necessarily understand how difficult the wor- world can be and how challenging, especially as a believer, as a follower of Christ, how challenging the world can be. And so they need the instruction and the guidance of their parents if they're following the Lord in order to, give, in order to get them sort of prepared to go out into the world. And hopefully the father or the parent will give godly wisdom and pass that on to his children. You know, the, the greatest example of this comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In John 8, verses 28 and 29, it says, uh, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father taught Me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please him. How awesome would it be for us as Christians that we could maybe even for one day just say, I always do those things that please my Father in heaven. And so, you know, that, was, that, that instruction that comes from Christ to please God is really how we're supposed to walk. Now, the opposite of listening to, to wisdom or your father's instructions is to close your ears to rebuke. Rebuke is usually in the form of some kind of correction. And how many of us like correction? No, not many of us. See, we don't like to hear correction because that means we, you know, we're in the wrong in some way. Those who refuse to listen, though, to correction are called scoffers because they kind of laugh it off as, well, that's not important, or what you're telling me doesn't have any bearing on my life. It's not meaningful to my life. So they kind of, they're scoffers at that. But if you, somebody's trying to give you good wisdom, and it comes sometimes in the form of a rebuke or in the form of some kind of correction, we'd be wise to receive that. So the first verse was talking about listening. Verse 2 is, talking about, uh, is telling us about talking, having fruitful or effective words that are not only beneficial to the hearer, but also bring blessings to the one who's speaking them. You know, our words, you know, you know this, our words can either bring blessings or cursings to people. They can be edifying or they could tear people down. So, you know, our prayer Every day, as it says in verse 3, should be for God to guard our tongue. You know, that we are thoughtful about what we say. And we consider the effect that our words can have on others. Verse 4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent man should be, shall be made rich. This is, again, we see it many times contrasting laziness with diligence and the benefits that come from a persistent person, persistent in the things of God. You know, a lazy man can wish all he wants for something, but if he's not willing to work for it, he'll remain without that which he desires. You know, it's just, it's like saying, you know, I wish for this, I wish for this, but not doing anything about it. So diligence here contrasted with laziness. Verses 5 and 6, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. So, 
again, as followers of Christ, we should hate what God hates. We should love what God loves. We should be in tune. Our hearts should be in tune with God. And when we truly know him, and that's what the studying of the scriptures does for us, it reveals God's heart. It reveals God's character. The more we know God, the more we will, we will hate what he hates and love what he loves. And then we would desire to please him. Now, we're not perfect. And we, you know, this one, this, this uh, verse 5 says, a righteous man hates lying. It doesn't say a righteous man does not lie. So what is it saying there? It says, where is your heart? Where is your heart? In Psalm 119, verse 163, David wrote, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Now, David hated lying, but wasn't he guilty himself of lying? So we'll never walk perfectly, right, in this Christian life. But where is our heart? That's what that verse is saying here. Is it towards the things of God or is it not? Is it in tune with his character and his will? Verses 7 and 8, There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. So true riches, true riches. We're talking about you know, wealth in a spiritual sense. It's not the material things. It's not the temporal things of this life. It's not all of the stuff that we can get, but it's the eternal things that are significant. And that's why it says the rich person is really the one who is the one who has nothing. So notice the rich think that his wealth also can protect him from life's troubles. But in actuality, sometimes it's their wealth, it's their riches that get them into trouble. I mean, you know, even practically speaking, in verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. A poor person doesn't have to be concerned about being robbed. <laughs> in practical terms, about being kidnapped for ransom. So riches have their problems. They come with, they come with it. And so, um, you know, true riches are those eternal things. Verse 9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Contrasting here again, the righteous with the wicked person. You know, speaking about us as Christians walking in the light. About us as believers as uh, shining that light. We are salt and light, Jesus said. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, Jesus, when he saved us, he called us out of darkness and he brought us into the light of Christ. You know, we've been called out of that. And that therefore, we should want to spread light in this world to those who are still walking in darkness. You know, we may... We may have people in our lives, loved ones, family, friends, co-workers, schoolmates who are walking in darkness and we have the light inside us. We have the light of Christ that we can offer to them and that's what, that's what uh, God wants us to do. Verse 10, by pride, nothing comes to, by pride comes nothing but strife, 
but with the well-advised is wisdom. So pride can bring nothing but uh, trouble in our lives. In Mark 7, 20 and 22, it said, Then he said, Jesus, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? So, And then he lists certain things that come out of a man that actually bring trouble to the man. And that's thefts, covetousness, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. So pride is in that list of things that actually bring trouble to us. So that's supported there in the New Testament by Jesus. Proverbs uh, 13.11, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. You know, God doesn't reward those who, who gain their riches by cheating others. You know, eventually they'll get what they deserve. You know, but hard work, hard work and diligence brings its rewards. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. You know, have you ever just waited for something, hoped for something? You know, and, and even that hope can k- sort of keep you going. Even that hope can motivate you toward the, the ultimate goal. But have you ever hoped for something for so long that eventually you get just dis- discouraged? And sometimes that can happen. You know, when it says hope deferred or hope that is delayed can make the heart sick. But when it comes, eventually, if you're patient and the fulfillment of that hope, of that desire comes, boy, how much sweeter is it? You know, when you've had to wait for a long time for something that you're hoping for and it finally comes, it's finally fulfilled, you know, and how sweet that is. You know, we, I, th- I thought of, you know, this proverb sort of playing itself out in the lives of Abraham and Sarah while they waited patiently for God's promise of a son. And it wasn't easy. It was many, many long years, even to the point where they became so discouraged that they, they decided to try to help God out in that promise, help him accomplish his will for their lives, But when that son finally came, that son of promise finally came, boy, did he represent the hope uh, that they had all along, that hope fulfilled. And I think the lesson here is that we may not see God move as quickly as we think he should in a particular circumstance. We may think that he's delaying and we don't understand what he's doing. But we must remember that God's timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. So whatever you're waiting for, my advice sort of in today's vernacular would be hang in there. God's going to accomplish it in your life. And boy, that's going to be so sweet when when that fulfillment of that hope, of that promise finally comes in your life. Verses 13 and 14, He who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So we see here great benefit from heeding wisdom. And it may even protect us at times from, from harm. You know, if, if we listen to the Lord, if we're, if we're wise in what we do. And really these, these verses are not a threat of uh, wrath, the wrath of God or destruction 
to, uh, to those whom he loves. It's really a warning by God. You know, it's good to have a warning. You know, it's good that God warns those he loves that if you despise the word, it's, gonna, it's, gonna not, it's not going to be beneficial to you. But if you fear the commandments of God, you will be rewarded. We thank God that he gives us these warnings. In one regard, though, despising the word of God will bring eternal separation from him if we despise the word of God in, in the uh, person of Jesus Christ. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Understanding here and knowledge generally will bring good results, but foolish foolishness, again, generally will bring trouble. You know, Joseph was one who had understanding and knowledge in the things of God. He was a man who, was, who desired to please God. It says in Genesis 39, 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So Joseph wanted to please God in all that he did. And God rewarded that faithfulness. You know, is that your heart? Do you desire to please God in all you do? And if that's the case, look out for the favor that God will place on your life because of that, because of your faithfulness. Poverty and shame, verse 18, will come to him who disdains correction, but he regards a rebuke will be honored. Again, we see the benefits here of considering the instruction of a godly person who wants to teach us good things. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is in an abomination to fools to depart from evil. So again, we see here that you know, waiting on that hope, when that finally comes, it's, it's a sweet thing. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. This kind of makes sense. Speaks of about the people that we associate with. One way to become wise is to associate with wise people. You know, one way to become better at something is to associate yourself with people who are good at, at that thing that you want to become better at. You know, I know that it, it, it even transfers over into sports. You know, I, some of you know I, I'm a pretty avid tennis player. Not that great, but I'm avid. But uh, I enjoy playing with, with, uh, with people who are better than me. Not a lot better, but just a little bit better. Because... No, it does. It, it sort of spurs you on to play harder. I notice if my competition is better than me, I'll sort of pick my game up, you know, to try to compete. I notice also that if I play with people who are inferior to me, that I'll kind of, my game will kind of, I'll tend to play to their level, you know, and that's usually not good. So sort of hang out with those people who you know are wise, you know are walking with the Lord, and sort of let them rub off on you. Evil pursues sinners, verse 21 and 22, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So here it's uh, speaking of wisdom, 
um, uh, exemplified in being a good steward of what God's blessed you with. And then, you know, being a good steward, you'll be able to maybe leave an inheritance to your, to your grandchildren. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. So this is speaking of, you know, just uh, the unfair practices sometimes of wicked people on the poor. You know, and that one of the roles of government is to protect the poor. One of the roles, certainly, one of the duties of the church is to also help the poor. You know, we pray for justice in our society, you know, for, you know, a fair, fair government, fair practices, so that people don't get taken advantage of. And that's what this verse is speaking of here. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. So you've heard the saying, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? That's where this, uh, that saying comes from. So it teaches us here as parents that prompt, appropriate correction is good, is good in the raising of children. And it's good, honestly, it's good throughout our whole lives. And it's not, obviously, correction um, is, not, is not the same as you become an adult, but it, correction does uh, accomplish quite a few good things. First of all, it reveals sin. It reveals sin. So then we can deal with that sin and we can learn from it and then we can change uh, wh- what we're doing. It also reveals our need for a Savior. You know, since we're not perfect, since we need correction, and God's standard is perfection, we are in need of that substitute that, that only Jesus could accomplish, taking our sin upon Himself. Correction also teaches us that we are accountable for our actions. Without prompt, appropriate discipline, a child will never understand the consequences of their actions. Lastly, it shows us that God loves us. shows us that God loves us. That's why He corrects us. That's why He rebukes us. It's for our own good. Hebrews 12.11 gives us um, a, a verse here that speaks about this. Now no chastening seems joyful for the present. It's certainly not uh, pleasant when God's rebuking you, when God's ch- uh, chastening you, when He's correcting you, or anyone else for that matter. But it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see here the, the benefit that comes from prompt, appropriate correction, whether it's for a child or a child of God, no matter how old they are. Okay, Proverbs chapter 14. A wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. You know, uh, I'm going to hang here for a few few minutes because, um, you know, I see here and I see consistency throughout the Scriptures that support the value of, of women. You know, and some people... 
in society will say, oh, well, the Bible is always speaking out against women. And I think the Bible values women um, consistently throughout. Uh, John MacArthur wrote about, about this, this particular topic. Christian women converted out of a pagan society were automatically freed from a host of demeaning practices, emancipated from the public debauchery of temples and theaters where women were systematically dishonored and devalued. They rose to prominence in home and church where they were honored and admired for feminine virtues like hospitality, ministry to the sick, the care and nurture of their own families, and the loving labor of their hands. You know, the, the Bible does a great job in really giving great value to women. In Acts 9.39, we see this. It says, Then Peter arose and went with them. When, we, when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So now we've got we to think of this scene. The scene is that this woman, Dorcas, who was a, a follower of Jesus um, and obviously very prominent in her, in her uh, community, had died. And they, sh- they showed Peter all of the things that she did to minister to them. Look at all of the things that she made us while she was with us. This woman really ministered to us. And it speaks about just the simple things, the simple things that minister to one another. It could be a phone call when someone's down. It could be a ride to the, to the store or a ride to a doctor. It could be a prayer, a quick prayer with someone. You know, it could be preparing a meal, whatever it is, those simple things. And, you know, this is, this is something that's, that's supported in Scripture throughout from beginning to end. And then going back to the previous verses in Acts 9, just tell us what kind of woman uh, Dorcas was or Tabitha. It says, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable, charitable deeds, which she did. That's, that's an awesome to thing to say about someone. How much wisdom is needed for a woman to manage her home well? How much wisdom is needed for her to serve the church or to serve the community? And if she does, it's a, you know, it brings a good reputation to her and it builds up her house. You know, her, her home then is is looked at as a place where, where good things are, are going on. But if a woman is all about herself, or maybe she's a busybody or a gossip, she's going to tear her house down. If she puts the majority of her time into you know, useless uh, things instead of the things of, of God or the, um, the things of her family, it's going to tear her house down. You know, if she's pouring into her children, you know, even, even that, which is, which is quite an accomplishment for a woman, you know, how that could, that could actually change the world. You know, there's a, there's a poem from the 1800s, and you've probably heard some of this. It says, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And it's speaking of a godly woman. Speaking of a godly woman. And so, you know, I just wanted to, 
emphasize that in that one verse, you know, that, that Solomon says, a wise woman, a woman who's full of godly wisdom, builds her house up, but a fool pulls it down with her hands. Verses 2 and 3, he who walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. In the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. This is the attitude of someone towards God, and it will show up in the person's walk, and it will show up in their speech. You know, a God-fearing person will walk in a Christ-like way and speak in a way that builds people up. Verse 4, where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. So this is kind of a funny verse because a farmer, it's like a farmer bragging, look how clean my stable is. Well, your stable's clean because there's nothing, there's no animals in it. And so your stable may be the cleanest in the area, but you're not going to have anything to show for it. You know, there'll be no harvest. There'll be no ox to plow the fields. It's, it's saying here, basically, that you need, sometimes you need to step out in faith you know, and, and invest in something so that you can see the results of that. Listen to the Lord when he's telling you maybe to witness to someone because, you know, sometimes, you know, we could be ridiculed for that. But what reward could come, you know, if we put ourselves out there? So um, just time, money, hard work, you know, just speaking of that being essential to significant results. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Uh, a scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy for him who understands. So this is, this is a little different. Usually we see the scoffer not even desiring to find wisdom. You know, the scoffer basically saying, you know, that wisdom, he doesn't need godly wisdom. Here we see a scoffer that seeks wisdom, but he doesn't find it. Why is that? Well, that's because he doesn't have that relationship with the Lord. That's because he does not, he, he is not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That godly wisdom is not going to come to someone who scoffs at the things of God. If he fears God, true, true wisdom will come to him. If he doesn't, it remains elusive to the scoffer. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. So again, here we see a contrast of foolish with the wise. You know, as believers, we're to seek out others who also want to gain godly wisdom and associate ourselves with them. You know, if you just ask the question, what can you really learn from a fool? And, you know, it's self-explanatory. But we also, it says here, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. Whose way? Your own way. We must understand who we really are. Look at ourselves honestly. You know, the folly of fools is deceit. They fool themselves. But we need to look at ourselves honestly and see that without Christ, we're nothing. You know, just as we, as we sang that song, as we prayed earlier, seems to be the theme tonight. In Philippians 4.13, most of you know this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So we get our strength from Jesus, not from the things of this world and not even from ourselves. The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger and a stranger does not share its joy. So this is speaking about, you know, sorrow or joy and the fact that, you know, as close as you may be to people, as much as they may empathize with you or you may empathize with them in their situation, you really don't know what they're going through. It says here, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. Whether it's sorrow or joy, only that person who's, who's in that circumstance, in that situation, can truly understand what he's going through. There's only one who understands all of our sorrows, all of our joys, and that's Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus can sympathize with us because he knows us fully, completely. He knows us. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We use this verse, verse 12, a lot of times in conjunction with salvation. You know, and the fact that some people, mo many people have the idea that salvation is about maybe your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds or what church you're a part of or that maybe everyone is going to be saved. These are ideas of men. You know, these are things that seem right to man. You know, if you ask somebody maybe on the street, if you, if you say, you know, how do you go to heaven? They may say, well, I think everybody should go to heaven. Seems right to me. But is that, but is that the, what the Bible says? And so there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Why? Because you may think that way and you may never come to the point at which you understand your need for Jesus in your life and you may die apart from him. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. At the end of mirth may be grief. So here just speaking about you know, what's really in your heart? Sometimes people put on a facade. Some people, sometimes people put on a, a, a happy face when really deep down inside there's a lot of trouble and there's, and there's uh, things going on. There's grief, there's sorrow inside, inside them. And so what I would say here as far as application to us, you know, you're amongst friends, family, people who really... Uh, should be showing the love of Christ, ministering to one another. This is, a, this is a place, the body of Christ should be the place where you can come and kind of be, you know, uh, you know yourself and not have to put on any, uh, any facade. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. So someone not walking with the Lord um, he'll only receive the satisfaction uh, from his own endeavors, not receive those benefits and those blessings that come from a relationship with God. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. 
So these, these verses speak about a prudent man, a careful person who, you know, considers everything that he hears, doesn't believe everything that he hears, you know, and he won't find himself in much trouble. But a foolish person, an impetuous person, can get himself into a lot of trouble because he doesn't think through what, what's coming before him. And their self-confidence will do them no good. You know, and it might, you know, it might lead to a quick temper and it'll cause him even more harm. So to sort of sit back and, and consider and, and to be slow when you hear something, when you see something, not to overreact, not to, you know, to jump the gun on what your, uh, what your opinion might be about something, but just to sit back and consider it. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Again, here talking about not being gullible you know, in the things of the world, you know, but to be wise. You know, Jesus gave instructions to his disciples as he sent them out into the world, didn't he? You know, he said, he said in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So Jesus here telling us, telling his followers, that the world is full of people who want to sort of take us out. But for the sake of spreading the gospel, that we should be wise in order to accomplish what he's called us to do. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. Now, we may never see that in our lifetime, that the wicked bow down before the good. seems like the wicked are, are, always, are always getting what they want. But in eternity, definitely, the wicked will bow down um, we, we will rule, rule and reign with Christ, it says in the Bible. It says in 2 Timothy 2, in the beginning of that verse uh, 12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. You know, so there will come a time when the wicked will, will bow down to the righteous. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. I'm sure he does. And he who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. So are human relationships affected by our walk with Christ? Our priorities in relationships change when, be when we become a follower of Jesus. We should no longer care about a person's economic status. Maybe that was what our drive was, what was driving us to make friends you know, before we knew, knew Jesus, you know, I, that you wanted to be friendly with, you know, with the wealthiest person. But we love people as Christians because that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to love. It says in Galatians 5.14, for although all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, that's what we're called to do. We don't, we're not called to ask, can we check your bank account, please, before I, I love you, before I'm your friend? That should have nothing to do with it. Do they not go astray, verse 22, who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. So this may be where we get our saying, talk is cheap. Because uh, it says here there's profit in hard labor, 
but idle chatter leads only to poverty. You know, it's great to talk about, you know, hard work, but it's better to actually do it. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. So again, con contrasting wise and, f and foolish. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. Just, you know, honesty and genuineness, you know, whether it's just in our relationships with one another or maybe uh, this is speaking of testifying in a court case, you know. So, again, just practical instruction for daily living. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. A healthy respect toward God most times will result in safety and security. We should have confidence that the Lord has our back, that he has the best for us, and that he'll protect our family. In the multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. This, this verse basically says that you're not really a leader unless you have followers. You know, a leader with no followers won't last very long in that position. And this goes into whether it's government, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in business. It kind of follows along the same line. You know, there was a, there was a book written about business leaders, and it's, and it's called The Art of Followership. And the, uh, the authors say that followers are looking for authenticity, significance, and community from their leaders. Many leadership theories focus on leadership as a role that you do to followers. The authors say that leadership is a role that you do with your followers. So develop those relationships. If you're a leader, if you're a leader in your community, if you're a leader in your home, if you're a leader in business, you know, develop that relationship with those who you want to follow you. They go on to say it's a relationship and it doesn't happen without a leader's recognition of their followers' needs. So, you know, whether it's in the government or the church, you know, a good leader recognizes what, what the needs of the followers are and then works with them to fill those needs. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. So this goes along with James 1.19. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Uh, verse 30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy, envy is rottenness to the bones. So somebody who's just satisfied with their lot in life is happy with what God has given, given to them, is content in where they're at, you know, they'll have a happy heart. It'll actually be good for them physically as opposed to someone who's always striving and envying others, trying to attain what others have. They'll never be at peace. They'll always be that next thing that they need. But someone who's satisfied, you know, a sound heart is life to the body. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Self-explanatory. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has refuge 
in his death. So as believers, we rest knowing that when we're gone from this life, that we'll be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unbelievers, people who don't have that assurance, face eternity with, uh, with difficulty because they don't know. See, we know as believers in Jesus, so we can rest in that. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is in the heart of fools is made known. So here just speaking that a wise person doesn't have to announce everything that he knows. Some, he, some things he, can, he just keeps to himself. Maybe let his actions speak louder than his words and to be confident in the wisdom that he's been given by God. You know, sometimes a fool has to cover up his foolishness by trying to seem wise. You ever notice people that kind of, you know, have to, you know, declare everything that he knows, you know, just to sort of cover up what he really doesn't know sometimes. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a, a presidential campaign, not a very pretty one from my personal perspective. Um, and, you know, I'm not really sure if anyone believes this that's running for office, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Certainly that's what our country was founded on, those kinds of ideas. Many of our early leaders and the founders of this country knew that God would bless the nation that sought him in prayer and choose, chose to rule and to live righteously. You know, George Washington said it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. I don't, I don't know if I can think of any of the candidates that would come out and say something like that. So our prayer, our prayer for this country, our prayer for our local government, our state government, is that godly people would get into office, that they would lead righteously, that they would rule according to uh, godly precepts and ideas. Um, the last verse here, the king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. So here, just speaking of that employer-employee relationship, you know, strive to be wise in our jobs, wise in our, in our workplaces, you know, bring good work ethic to our jobs, you know, to give attention to, you know, our jobs. That's how we should approach, you know, w uh, what God's given to us, whether it's, you know, it could be in our career, it could be things in the church, it could be things at home to bring diligence and wisdom to everything that we do. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.